Romans 5, we'll be reading the whole chapter. Just talking to Jake about how helpful it is to be reminded of the truths that we hold dear. And uh, this, boy, this chapter is full of them. Let's thank God for them. God, we thank you for making these truths truthful and for allowing us to rehearse and return and remind ourselves of your wonderful grace, unmerited favor, and your mercy. Please bless the reading of this word. Amen. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment followed one trespass, brought condemnation, But the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, 
but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is good to be with you uh, this second Sunday of Advent. Uh, the, the title of today's message is <clears throat> The Gospel Orients Our Lives to Peace and Rest. But uh, before we begin, a couple things. Uh, one, I, I wanted to pray for um, Pastor Adam and Libby this morning. As Jake mentioned, uh, Mike and, and Michelle are in Utah today worshiping with Adam as this is Adam and Libby's last Sunday in the, in the States. They're moving uh, next week or later this week to the Middle East uh, as missionaries. So I just wanted to pray for them real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Pastor Adam and Libby, and we ask that as they move to the Middle East later this week, that you would be comforting their hearts. Lord, we pray that you would put your hand on their their work, that many would come to know you, and that uh, you would keep their families safe. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I also uh, wanted to say uh, just a, a, a small word of caution. Uh, I don't see uh, Keith Goodrich here today, but Don and Keith and anybody else who, who may be an elder one day, um, I think it's really important that you carefully dis- um, consider when to step down. Because apparently, after you step down from being an elder and then start to look like a hippie, you're asked <laughs> to preach. So... <clears throat> I'm not really sure what, what, what's happening there, but uh, anyways, with that said, I want to turn our attention to God's word this morning and see what it has to say about peace with God. How can we have peace with God? We are moving through various topics this Advent season, starting last week with how the gospel orients our lives. In the next few weeks, we will be seeing what God's word has to say about joy, generosity, praise, and hope, but today we are going to study peace. And I think peace certainly fits within Advent as we all typically read Isaiah 9-6 during the Christmas season. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what does this peace mean? The peace in this instance refers to the fact that Isaiah is writing about the coming birth of Jesus, the Son of God himself, that God himself, the three-in-one triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is breaking into time and space, reaching down to us, and is going to make a way for us to be saved in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God's ultimate purpose, a plan for the fullness of time, is to unite all things in him, that is Christ, things in heaven and things on earth to the praise of his glory. I recently heard Tim Keller say that all other religions in the world offer a way for us to work towards salvation or offer a way for us to find a God. But only in Christianity does the almighty and holy God of the universe reach out to us in our broken and sinful state. Isn't that good news? 
And here Isaiah is looking forward to that day and realizing that Jesus will be the Prince of Peace. He is the ruler whose reign will bring about peace because the nations will rely on his just decisions in their disputes. And so to broaden the scope of peace again, I think I, I, think I have peace with God, and I think many of us in this room have peace with God. But as I look at my own life, as I look at others, I tend to sometimes believe that others have more peace with God than I. Maybe this isn't true. Maybe I'm believing a lie. But I think there are times when we say to ourselves, that person over there, they really appear to be loved by God. They really know that God loves them. Or, or, or this person over here, they really seem to have peace with God. So I want to explore how the gospel can orient ourselves to peace. And I want to focus on uh, three points this morning. Peace with God, peace in living repentantly and remembering to look to Jesus, and peace in relying on the Holy Spirit to live like Christ. As we go through these discussion points, maybe consider which one of these areas you find yourself battling with today. First, the gospel orients my life to peace with God through believing in the gospel. Many have heard this word gospel thrown around within the church for many years. Mike used it multiple times last week. But what does it mean? And many of us know the answer. The word gospel actually means good message or good news. In Old Testament times, it was common for people to wait upon a doctor's good news after a visitation or to wait upon a messenger's good news relating to an ongoing war battle. And we hear the word gospel a lot when people talk about the New Testament. But in order for there to be good news, there has to be a need for that good news to be announced. The Bible makes it clear that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and that all of humankind will be living in one of those two places for eternity. We're not going to be dead in one of those two places. We will be alive in one of those two places. We find in the first book of the Bible in Genesis that God created all things to include man and woman, and he created us to be with him to live forever with him. Genesis 2, starting with verse 15, states, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here we see the first announcement of possible death. And then what transpires, Adam and Eve commit a sin against the God who created them, They ate the fruit that God told them not to eat. Later, God says, And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ESV Bible says, Adam's sin cannot be overemphasized, resulting in the fall of mankind, the beginning of every kind of sin, suffering and pain, as well as physical and spiritual death for the human race. Not only do we see the announcement of physical death, but through Adam's sin, spiritual death also becomes a reality. 
Adam and Eve sinned against an eternal and holy God, and therefore punishment for this sin must be eternal as well. All of mankind has inherited this sin and commit sins themselves also. We see in Romans 3, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. But what happens right after Adam and Eve's sin is very interesting. And I don't think I ever saw this um, until now, uh, an aspect of this. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve, made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So God shows mercy and clothes them. But what is interesting is that in order for garments of skins to be used as clothes, an animal had to die. Many scholars see a parallel between this and the sacrificial system put in place by Moses for the atonement of sins. In both instances, the sacrifice and the shedding of blood had to occur to cover sins. And ultimately, this is all a pointer to the gospel or to the good news. And the good news is that Jesus, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, came into this world to live the perfect life that we cannot live, to take on my sin and your sin, to die on the cross as a substitute for you and I. He physically died, was spiritually forsaken by God the Father, and conquered death and rose on the third day, so that through Jesus' death and resurrection, our relationship with God can be restored through repentance and faith. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So to sum the first point up, we have a sin problem. All of us at birth are separated from our Holy Creator and commit our own sins as well. All of us go through life seeking joy, worth, happiness, relaxation, peace, rest, and so forth. But we are destined to eternal punishment in hell. Matthew tells us in the book of Matthew that there will be a day when Jesus, the Son of God, comes back to judge the nations. And there will be those that are cursed and sent away to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And there are those who will inherit eternal life with God. Where are you at this morning? Do you know this good news? Are you wrestling with your heart as you try to find peace with life or with God? Look no further. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you examined your life this morning? Do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know you need salvation? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you aware of the good news of Jesus Christ this Christmas season? Point number two, the gospel orients my life to peace with God through living repentantly and remembering to look to Jesus. If you don't have point one taken care of, do that. That's salvation. Repent and believe. I believe the majority of us probably in this room have done that. But if this is your first time today, if you have not heard of the good news of Jesus, believe. Through repentance and faith in Christ as our sin substitute, 
as our Savior and Lord, we are justified before God. The Bible says that after salvation, Christ essentially looks at us through the lens of Christ. Our sins have been paid by Christ, all of them. Yesterday's sins, today's sins, tomorrow's sins. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we can have a restored relationship with him. Not only have our sins been paid, but Jesus' perfect righteousness is imputed to us. And again, God sees us as holy through the lens of Christ. But as we live life, we we lose sight of Jesus and this good news. At least I do. We need to strive to live repentant lives and to remember the gospel. We still need to confess our sins daily, hourly, however often it may be. Not to be saved again, but to be obedient to God's word and to keep a healthy relationship with God. We need to remember what Jesus has done for us and all of God's promises. It takes a lot of work to have relationships with friends, even more so sometimes with family. And it takes a lot of hard work to have a good relationship with God too. We can't just become saved, put the Bible away, and live our own lives. We won't be able to withstand the storms of life without God. We will forget his promises and his faithfulness. Jesus, when being tempted by the devil, said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes by the mouth of God. We need to seek after him and come to him daily. But I know I start to do life on my own. I start to forget God's promises. And the peace I may have once had starts to fade. Maybe you think, or sometimes I think, I I don't need anyone's help. I have it covered. I know Jesus died for me. I, I believe in Jesus. My faith is pretty strong, but sometimes I do feel a little disoriented. I'm not sure I feel like a strong believer. I pray, but my life just feels like it's not going anywhere. I'm not sure I have the, the peace in my heart that I once did. So sure enough, the lies creep in. Our hearts start to wonder how close we are with God. We become surrounded with worldly thoughts. We become surrounded with maybe sinful thoughts. We wonder if God is still intimately involved with our lives. We have doubt. And the peace of knowing God well, of resting upon his word and his promises fade. We look inward at our restless hearts. But what we need to do is preach the gospel to ourselves again. We need to humbly come before God living repentantly, and allow our hearts and our minds to rest upon God. And I want to stress that it's not just about getting away from the stereotypical worldly things or blatantly sinful things. It's also about realizing that we don't have the answers. God does. That's not our strength that we need to depend on. It's about having peace that while evidence of salvation can be found in the fruit that we bear as believers, we have to remember that we live by grace. And looking to Jesus, Jerry Bridges has famously said that too often, at least in America, the Christian life has been characterized by one who is saved or justified by grace and who enters heaven or glorification by grace, but that that period in between in which we're living out our Christian walk is based on works. 
And he makes an argument, as I'm trying to do as well, that our Christian life, while it does produce fruit-bearing work through the power of the Holy Spirit, is still one based on grace and the promises of God. It's not by looking inward and seeing what level of holiness we have achieved. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 states this. He says, look out for the dogs. Um, These are Gentiles or worldly people, let's say. Paul says, look out for the evildoers. In this case, it's the Pharisees who uphold their works. Paul says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. In this case, he's referring to the Jews who are still believing that circumcision is what makes them part of God's elect. Paul says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Granted, Paul is describing his life prior to conversion, But Paul is saying, look at me. If anyone was theoretically blameless or did all the right things, it was me. And now I count them as nothing in order that I may gain Christ. It is Christ that is most important. What I want to say is that we can wrestle with peace with God in a variety of ways. Whether we are wrapped up in things not of God. Or whether we are trying to measure up how we've been this week. Am I in the right place with God? What I want to argue is that it is living repentantly in all these instances in which we can come to God humbly, searching our hearts and God's word, and once again align our hearts with his. This is where we will ultimately find peace. It's not about our good works. It's not the strength of our faith that is measured. It is banking on the promises and faithfulness of God. God isn't interested in the outward appearance of circumcision or of empty works. He is interested in an inward circumcision of the heart. What does it say at the end of Psalm 51? For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God wants us to come to him with a genuine heart. Yes, the Spirit of God is hopefully working in all of us and producing much fruit, and hopefully we are advancing the kingdom of God. But don't forget that our eyes are to be fixed on Jesus, not inwardly. We're reminded of this in Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with the endurance that the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. doesn't say looking within yourself. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. 
It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this, for he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. He insinuates, your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You don't repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You have not the joy of his children. You have such a wavering hold of Jesus. All these are thoughts about self, and we shall never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. He tells us that we are nothing, but that Christ is all in all. Remember, therefore, it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to thy hand, which thou art grasping Christ, as to Christ. Look not to thy hope, but to Jesus, the source of thy hope. Look not to thy faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of thy faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. Keep thine eyes simply on him. Let his death, his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession be fresh upon thy mind. When thou wakest in the morning, look to him. When thou liest down at night, look to him. Oh, let not thy hopes or fears come between thee and Jesus. Follow hard after him and he will never fail thee. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Now, the third and final point I want to make this morning is we have peace when we rely on the Holy Spirit's work. I think it's kind of funny as I was wrestling with this message, um, I was trying to figure out, finalize this third point. I thought I knew where I was going, but I, I didn't. I was praying and examining myself still, and I, I was feeling pretty good, and I was feeling at peace with God. I was thinking, yeah, this makes sense. I'm preaching to myself, and I'm feeling at peace. But as I approached this last point, I was, uh, I was still a little confused. I wanted to talk about living peaceably with others. But it clicked, or rather God helped me see, that I was still looking within to find peace and to find this argument. I was thinking the gospel helps me to give peace to others. This is true, but once again, Remembering that by, but, but, it, but it's actually, once again, remembering that by believing in the gospel, to begin with, by believing in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, God gives us, gives us the gift of his Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit who works within us, and we need to rely, in a variety of ways, upon the Spirit's work in our lives. We can have peace that it is the Holy Spirit working through us and our inner beings, our souls. It is not about who we are necessarily, though we're saved. It's about who God is and relying on the Holy Spirit 
to help us to live like Christ, whether that's peaceably with others or in whatever form it takes. I've been talking about the peace that we have by believing in the gospel, and that's not within us. Though salvation brings Christ into our lives, the gospel is very much outside of us. I've been talking about finding peace in our daily lives by looking outside of us to Christ's work and not ours. And so as I was thinking, what can I do to live peaceably with others? That's when I realized I'm, I'm still looking within myself. I need to look to the work and power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to very briefly show you how this might work. I wish uh, in some way Sean Grindle was here today. I, I don't know him that well, but the little I do know him, he, he really listens to the Spirit. We concentrate so much on two of the three persons of the Trinity, but not so much on the Holy Spirit. So this is a little exciting, actually. Many of us are familiar with this first passage I'm going to read in John chapter 14. Jesus promises to give us a helper after he leaves. After he ascends to the Father, a helper is coming. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How cool is that? I had no idea that God would just put that passage upon me this week. So we don't need to rely on our own merits or our own strength to live peaceably with others or to walk like Christ. We need to rely on our helper, the Holy Spirit, to be helping us. We could spend weeks talking about the Holy Spirit, and I don't have time to go too deep into all of these things, but just listen to all the things that the Spirit does. In the book of John, the Spirit comforts and the Spirit teaches. In the book of Acts, the Spirit speaks. Also in the book of Acts, the Spirit makes decisions. In Ephesians, the Spirit grieves over sin. Again, in the book of Acts, the Spirit overrules human actions. In 1 Corinthians, the Spirit searches the deep things of God and knows the thoughts of God. The Spirit determines the distribution of spiritual gifts. In Romans, the Spirit interprets and brings human prayer before the throne of the Father. And the Spirit assures believers of their adoption. And finally, in John, the Spirit bears witness to and glorifies Christ. How wonderful is this? Oh, that we would not rely on looking within for peace or strength, but that we would rely on the Spirit. As believers, we are ambassadors of Christ here on earth. And through sanctification, God is trimming and pruning us to be more and more like Christ. Through the beauty of the gospel and relying on the Holy Spirit, we can live more like Christ. Through living humbly, dying daily to sin, and asking God for the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, we can put into practice the fruits of the Spirit and model how Paul calls us to live in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are a broken people. We try to do life on our own. We try to look within for strength, for peace. God, help us not to look within for that strength and that peace. Help us to look at your work that you've done for us in Christ. Help us to, look, help us to rely on the Holy Spirit to teach us and to, to help us live our lives as, as you would want. Help us to see the beauty of that, how, how beautiful you are and what you've done for us. Help us to, again, rely not our, on our own works, but on you, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen.